wherever two or three people are gathered in your name, you are there with them. And we know that you are here with us. And therefore, we commit this service into your hands. Even as we are about to share your word, we pray that you speak to us. Open our hearts to receive your word. In the name of Jesus. Have your way in us this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, last week we spoke about um, let the word of God dwell in you richly. And I believe that we have been practicing. Oh, we forgot. (laughs) We have to practice meditating on the word of God. This week, when I kept meditating on the word of God, I realized that meditation... It's one of the very important um, spiritual exercises or spiritual exercise that sets people apart. People who meditate on the word of God, it sets them apart. It sets their Christian life apart. And um, it takes a lot of discipline to practice meditation. It has to be part of you as a lifestyle. And so let's start small. Start by memorizing just every simple verse. Keep it in your mind. Let it continue to think. Ponder over the word. Matter it out. That's how you meditate. And you see how the, the power in the word will come alive. And it will transform your life. So let's practice the um, habit of meditating on the word of God. So this morning we are going to talk about Perusia. That's the Greek word. And um, as, when I chose the title, I, I remembered what um, my, one of my colleagues, work colleagues told me several years ago. He said, why are you pastors like this? <laughs> you always bring Greek words to confuse the people. <laughs> when they don't even understand the English word, you introduce Greek words. <laughs> but that's not what we are trying to do here. Sometimes the Greek words bring out the actual meaning of what you are trying to say. And so... Because the English word is limited. English word sometimes uses the same translation for several things that are, that are, I mean, different words in the Greek. And so when you go to the Greek, it gives you the um, actual meaning. But today, it's not, we're not talking about anything very complex that's going to confuse anyone. The English, in the English version, the title of the message is His Coming. We are talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm using the word perusia. Perusia talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ. There are two Greek words that are used for for his coming, but this is the most popular one. When you say perusia, we are talking about the coming of the Lord. I believe that as believers, we are supposed to remind ourselves every time that Jesus is coming again. Once in a while, we have to remind ourselves that Jesus is, is coming again. And that is why this morning I want to talk about Perusia, the coming of the Lord. Acts chapter 1 verse 9 to 11. The Bible says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, and behold, Two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. We are talking about Perusia, the coming of the Lord. 
The passage we just read is when Jesus Christ left the earth and went into heaven. Now he told his disciples to go and meet him. And he wanted to go into heaven before their eyes so that they see him. You know, Jesus Christ had been walking with his disciples for a very long time, performed so many miracles. They had seen Jesus working miracles. They had seen Jesus healing the sick, walking on the, on the water. They have seen Jesus turn water into wine. They have walked with, they have been intimate with Jesus Christ. And so they knew him. And at, point, at a point, Jesus Christ was telling the, um, the Jewish, uh, the Pharisees that he is God. He said, I am a father, I one. Before Abraham was, I am. And they became offended because he was saying that he was God. And so Jesus told, so a lot of his disciples stopped following him. And he asked the 12, are you also going to leave? They said they were not going to leave. Because Jesus said he was God, the people became offended. Or because he said he is God, that should be the the correct statement. The people became offended and some of the disciples left. And so I believe that he being God was something that the disciples were still thinking about. At a point when Jesus Christ said he was leaving, Thomas says, where are you going? Show us the way to the Father. When Jesus Christ had already told them that I am God. So I believe that the ascension of Jesus Christ, even though we don't talk about it that much in church, there is very little written about the ascension of Jesus Christ. But it's one of the very important um, one of the very important things that happen in the Bible that confirms the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Because before their very eyes, they saw him levitate into the air and was captured by the clouds. Before their very eyes, they saw the man being lifted up and they were watching and they were watching him go up into heaven. And he was finally, the cloud covered him and he went into heaven. And so at this point, if any of the disciples had any doubt that this man Jesus Christ was God, that they actually walked with God on earth, at this point, I believe that they were fully convinced that, they, that Jesus Christ was God. And it's not surprising how they went about preaching about Jesus Christ and telling people about Jesus Christ because they had seen with their own eyes. This man was crucified. He was buried. He rose again. If he had just died again, well, the... And he promised them that I am the Messiah and that I'm coming back for you. The one who died and didn't resurrect says he's coming back for you. How sure are you? You know, there is some sort of, you could doubt that. But before their very eyes, he resurrected and he wanted them to see. I believe Jesus Christ wanted to just display something for them to see. That he was God and he was, that was where he was coming from. Because he told them during his earthly ministry that, I came from heaven and I'm going back to heaven. And so when he was going back to heaven, they all saw him being lifted up from the ground, went into the sky, and they kept watching him till he went up into heaven. Well, some people are bringing a lot of theories and a lot of arguments about where is heaven, where is the destination of heaven. Well, if Jesus Christ is in heaven, then we know heaven is somewhere there, right? Because Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that he rose up from, I mean, he was just lifted up, defying the law of gravity. He just went up and he was received in the cloud. And the guys kept watching. They kept looking at him, even though he was gone. So and two angels had to come down and tell them, this same Jesus who you see going up into heaven will come down in the same like manner. 
So Jesus Christ is going to come just like he was received by the cloud. He was going, he's going to come again on the cloud. And the Bible says when he finally returns on the earth, all eyes will see him. Now the coming of Jesus Christ or the events that lead to the coming of Jesus Christ, the events that lead to the parousia, it is more than one event. We believe as children of God that Jesus Christ will appear first in the sky to take his church away. And then he will come back again. And the second time that he's coming, he will come down to the earth. And so the first time will be his appearing in the sky where the church will be caught up with him. And the second time, he's going to come down with the church. So the parousia is a series of events. We know about the tribulation. Before the tribulation happened, the church would have been gone. The church will be caught up in, with Jesus Christ in the air. But let me just take it one step after the other. So the first thing that the disciples will appreciate when they see Jesus Christ go into heaven is that they would understand that he is God. The second thing is that they will be sure of his destination. That Jesus Christ is no more in the grave, but he's present with God. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is seated in heavenly places. The Bible tells us that we are seated in heavenly places with the Father. Sorry, the Bible says we are seated in heavenly places with the Father, with Jesus Christ. The Bible also tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so we are convinced without a shadow of doubt that Jesus is in heaven. The disciples who saw him went up into heaven will be convinced without any doubt that Jesus is seated in heaven with the Father. And the ascension of Jesus Christ also confirms the fact that when he tells us that he's going to come back again, we know that he will come back again. There are people who follow a leader who died and never resurrected. And so if that leader promises you that he's going to resurrect you or you are going to resurrect again, you cannot be sure because he himself is dead and didn't resurrect. But we have a leader. We have a man who gave his life, died was crucified, died, was buried, resurrected, and went back into heaven. And so when he tells us that he is coming back again, we are confident that he will come back again. Now, the prophecy concerning the birth of Jesus Christ was given so many years by Isaiah, several years before he was born. And so it got to a point where people were not even expecting him to be born. Because the prophecy had been given so many years and they were expecting the Messiah There were few religious people who were expecting the Messiah to come. There were others who had forgotten that the Messiah was going to come because the prophecy had been given for so long. It's like his second coming. The prophecy about his second coming has been given for a very long time. Over 2,000 years ago, he promised that I'm coming back. In fact, when he told the disciples that I'll come back, I believe that they were thinking it was going to be like maybe 10, 5 years because this was a man they were working with. They had seen him. So they were expecting him when he says that I'm coming back. They felt like, oh, it's just going to be a short trip. (laughs) But we are still here today waiting for him. (laughs) And so just like the prophecy of his birth, it took so long. Some people even forgot that he was going to come back. He was going to be born. In the same way, this day, people are saying all sorts of things about his second coming. People think that he's he's taking too much time. When is he going to come? He has promised I have have been born. A lot of people have died. People who were expecting him, still, (laughs) he's not here. 
But one thing that we know for sure is that the word of God is true. Whatever he says, it will happen. And so for as long as he has told us that he's coming again, we know that he will come back again. And that is why it's important that as believers, we remind ourselves every now and then that Jesus is coming back again. The one that we love is coming back again. Every time I talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, I want to remind everyone that the second coming of Jesus Christ is not a threat. That it's not something that we, we say to, to, to um, frighten people and make people, cause people to be afraid. No, 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 no. That's not the mes- how the message of the second coming of Jesus is preached. Whenever we talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, it's to exhort us and to encourage us. That is how we should receive the message of his second coming. If you say you love Jesus Christ and the one you love is coming back and you're going to meet him, why are you afraid? There is no cause to be afraid when we talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. But rather, it should encourage us to expect him. You see, every time he spoke about his second coming was to encourage the the disciples. In John chapter 14, verse 1 to 4. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. This was the point that he had told the disciples that he was going to die. He has told the disciples how he was going to be killed by wicked people. How they were going to nail him to the cross. And they finally felt like he's going to leave them alone. He's going to leave them. This is a man who they had walked with. They had seen him perform miracles. When Peter's mother-in-law was sick, he would just pray. When they were hungry in the wilderness, he would pray and he would give them bread to eat. So this was a man that they were relying on. They saw him, him as their leader. As long as they walked with him, they were not afraid of anyone. And he told them that, I'm going to leave you. And the Bible says, the next thing he said was, let not your heart be troubled. And so even though I've told you, I've told you all these things that's making you feel sad and making you have sorrow in your heart. He told them again, let not your heart be troubled. Jesus Christ is concerned about how we feel. You see, m- many a times we think that we, Jesus Christ is only concerned uh, with us when we come to church and we lift up our hands and we are worshiping. That's the only time Jesus Christ is really concerned about us. But he's concerned about every single thing we go through. He's concerned about how you feel. And when he realized that the disciples were sad, maybe he could see it in their faces. After he told them that he was leaving, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. If you are feeling sorrow, if you are being, if you are um, sorrowful, if you are feeling sad, if you are depressed, if there is anything bothering you, one thing that will bring you out of that depression and bring you out of sorrow, is to believe in God. And so he told them, believe in God. The Greek word that was used for belief here means to have faith or to entrust your spiritual well-being to God. So he says, entrust your spiritual well-being to God. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What he's telling them is that believe in God through me. And so your belief in God has to come through Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people who say that I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the only way. And so the only way you can reach God is through Jesus Christ. So he says, believe in, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it was not so, I would have told you. 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you will be also. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. So he told them that in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm just going to just skip some of the lines and touch on some of the lines. So I go to prepare a place for you. This statement has brought a lot of confusion and people misinterpret this. A lot of people misinterpret this sentence. When Jesus Christ says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, some people have, are even thinking that heaven is still under construction. And I say over and over again, heaven is not under construction. The Bible tells us that he had finished in Hebrews chapter 4, I believe, verse 3. He says that although your works were finished from the foundation of the world, from the foundation of the world, he had finished the creation of the earth. He has finished the creation of heaven. Heaven is not under construction. So he says, I am going to prepare a place for you. It doesn't mean that there are angels in heaven who are busy putting mortar together and putting bricks together to prepare a place for you. No, that is not, that's not what he's saying. Heaven was prepared. Heaven is ready. But our place in heaven was not ready. Until Jesus Christ died and resurrected again and went into heaven and presented himself to the Father, we did not have a title to heaven. We did not have a title to the presence of God. And so the place is prepared because Jesus Christ went into heaven and showed himself to the Father and said, Look, I have paid the price. And so as soon as Jesus Christ went into heaven and went into the inner temple, the inner court of heaven before the presence of God and announced to God that I have died and resurrected and I've paid the price for these people, our place in heaven was secured. And so when he says that I go to prepare a place for you, it doesn't mean that there are angels constructing, doing construction in heaven. Because the Bible tells us look, the whole earth was created by his word. They don't need masons and laborers to prepare a place for us in heaven. But what the scripture means is that Jesus Christ had to secure our place in heaven. He had to give us the title to heaven. I know that a lot of people, um, some people have had visions. Uh, and they, they tell us how they went into heaven and, and they saw angels. When you do a good thing, then... That would be one brick for an angel to put on, on your building for you and all that. Well, I wouldn't say those visions are false. But you see, the interpretation you give to the vision is very important. But from scripture, whatever vision you have has to align with the scripture. There is no vision that, is, that can um, go contrary to the scripture. The, the test, the acid test for prophecies and visions is the scripture, is the word of God. And we know that right from the foundation of the earth, God had finished his creation. He's not doing any construction work in heaven. But Jesus Christ had to go into heaven and present himself to the Father that he had paid the price. And therefore, we now have access to heaven. Our place, because of the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven, our place in heaven is secured. Amen. And so if you are still thinking in your mind that... You are not sure if you have a place or not. No, you have a place because Jesus Christ is in heaven. And because we are in Christ, when we go to heaven, because he is there already representing us, we are also there with him. So the Bible tells us that we are seated in heavenly places 
with Jesus Christ. And so, we have to understand when he says, I go to prepare a place for you. They are not creating dormitories for us in heaven. We already have a place in heaven. Amen. Amen. And he says that when he goes and prepares the place, he will come and receive us to himself. He was telling the disciples that I am going to prepare a place for you. Now he has gone into heaven, showed himself to the Father. What is left in this prophecy is that he will come and receive us to himself. We will, he will come one day and receive us to himself. And so this should be at the back of our mind that we have a place in heaven. And Jesus Christ is coming one day to receive us in heaven. Now, Jesus has secured our title in heaven. When he went back into heaven, that made our place in heaven ready. And he says he's coming back again and he will preserve and deliver us from trouble. The disciples of the church, the followers of Jesus Christ, will not go through the tribulation, will be raptured, will be caught up with Jesus Christ. If we have more time, I will touch on that before we close. He says, I will come again and receive you to myself. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18, the Bible says that, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are falling asleep. So there were, disciples, there were people in the church who were dead. And the, church, the people in this church of Thessalonica were very sad because some of their relatives, some of their friends, some of the church members were dead. And they were very sorrowful. Again, do you see that the message of the coming of Jesus Christ is being shared with a church which was already in sorrow? It was being shared with them to exhort them. We have Sometimes when we preach this message, we get it all wrong. We use it as a message to threaten people. But every time they talk about the coming of Jesus Christ in the Bible, is to encourage and exalt the people. When the people were sad, when his disciples were sad, he told them that I am coming back again. And this time when Paul heard that the church in Thessalonica, they have lost some of the brethren and so they were sad. He says, he wrote a letter to them to tell them, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are falling asleep. In fact, he's describing the dead people as people who are falling asleep. If you are a child of God, when you die, you are, already, you are only sleeping because you know that you will be resurrected again. And so he says, concerning those who are falling asleep, least you sorrow as those who are without hope. For if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this I say to you by the word of the Lord, that's who, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will des descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these things or with these words. 
And so you see again when Paul was talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, his last sentence is that when we, when we share this amongst ourselves, we are bringing comfort to one another. You see the point? So when I tell you about the second coming of Jesus Christ, it is to comfort you and not to scare you. And so we have to open our heart to receive the message concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because when there was sorrow, the disciples encouraged themselves exalted themselves with the fact that one day Jesus Christ is coming for them. If you are a child of God, if you love God, there is nothing to be afraid of when you hear about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It should encourage you. It should be something that you are looking forward to. You should be looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So he says, comfort yourself with Comfort one another with these words. Now, this passage is what we've, we have um, called the rapture of the church. The word rapture itself is not in the Bible. But rapture talks about the catching of the church or the snatching of the church. The Greek word for rapture is hapazo, to be snatched, to be caught up. So the church will be snatched out of this earth. And the Bible says, those who are dead, we are not going to precede them. But they will also resurrect with a glorious body and will be caught up. And we, those who are alive, will be transformed. We are not going into heaven with flesh and blood. The Bible tells us that this flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so we are going to have glorious body. Our body is going to be transformed. And we will change. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15... Verse 50, the Bible says, Now I say to you, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither do corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. Very important statement. You know, people always say that, oh, everybody's going to die one day. Everybody's going to die one day. You know, people casually say that. But we understand from scripture that everybody's not going to die. Because during the coming of Jesus Christ, there will be people who are alive. Those people will not taste death. So when you read verse 51, it says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In fact, other translation says, We shall not all die. But we shall be changed. And so at the coming of Jesus Christ, those who are alive will be changed. Their body will be transformed. They will put on glorious bodies. It says, In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall, ra- shall be raised incorruptible, and they shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when, the, when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall um, put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the same that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And so death will be dealt with when we are transformed, when our body is changed. And so when Paul was writing in, in, uh, in Thessalonians, he says, those verse, um, 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 4, verse 17, he says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That is hapazo. We shall be hapazo together with them in the cloud. So he's saying at that time he was alive. And so he said, we, those who are alive and remain, will be caught up. 
So if Jesus Christ should come today, the Bible tells us that the dead, will re- the dead in Christ will, will resurrect first. Resurrect means that their spirit will reunite with their glorious body. And we, those who are alive, our, glory, our body will be transformed, will be changed, and will be caught up with them in the air. And so the angel told the disciples, this same Jesus that you see going up into heaven will come back in the same like manner. And Thessalonians confirms it, that he will be in the clouds and we will meet him in the clouds. This morning, my simple message is to remind you that Jesus is coming again. Even though it's been so long and it looks looks as if that he's not coming anytime soon. But I want you to remind yourself And I want it to be an exhortation. I want it to be an encouragement for you in your Christian life. That no matter what you are going through, one day Jesus is coming. And he's going to deliver you from everything that you are facing right now. And so let's be encouraged as children of God. That there is a place for us that is prepared in heaven. Like during our worship we sang that in the Father's house... There is a place for me. There is a place for you in heaven. There is a place for us prepared. Jesus is coming again. He is coming for his church. And we are going to reunite with him. So if Jesus is coming again, what does that mean to you then? What are you supposed to do if Jesus is coming again? The first step is that you need to believe in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14, he told them, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. If Jesus is coming again and we are expecting the second coming of Jesus Christ, you have to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. That is the first and most important thing. To accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. Once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, there is a place for you in heaven. And if you feel that your life, you are not living up to how you should live as a child of God, you go before him. Bible says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Go before him and remind yourself, let not the devil tell you that you are not a child of God. Let not the devil tell you that you are rejected. As long as we are still here on earth, as long as Jesus Christ has not, uh, the the last trumpet has not sounded yet, You always have the chance to go to the Father. Many times when people find their lives or they are living a life that they feel that they are living short of how they should live, they run away from the presence of God. But the Bible says, let us come boldly before His throne, before the presence of God, so that we will receive mercy and find grace. And so instead of running away from God, you should rather come to God when you feel like you are struggling in your Christian life. When you feel like things are not working out, you are not living up to your expectation. That is not the time to run away from His presence. Because when you run away from His presence, you will not find grace anywhere else. The only place you will find grace is in His presence. And so when there are struggles, that is not the time to run away from Him. The devil will want you to run away from Him. But come to His presence. Because there is mercy for you And there is grace for you in the presence of God. Amen. Amen. The next thing you have to do is live your lives as strangers here on earth. When um, so, if you are in the U.S., there there are people who are called um, legal resident. 
If you are a legal resident, you are not a citizen, but you are able to live in the U.S. legally. As a child of God, you are a legal resident here on earth because this is not your home country. Your home country is in heaven, but you are a legal resident here. When you read the book, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says that if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons, I'm reading from the old King James, judge it according to every man's work. Pass your time, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. The word sojourning means that you are traveling, you are a traveler. You are just traveling through this earth. And so he says that pass your time here in fear. Amen. If you are a permanent resident in another country or you are a legal resident in another country, you live your life in a way that you will not get into trouble with the law. You don't want to get in trouble because if you get into trouble with the law, you, you, might, you might be asked to go back to your country. If you are a child of God, you are living your life here as a stranger on earth. Because you know that your citizenship is in heaven. And there is a place that is prepared for you. So if you are expecting the coming of Jesus Christ, the Bible encourages us that we should live as travelers, as people who are on a journey. We should live our lives in fear of the Lord. We read further to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, and 12, uh, 11 to 12. The Bible says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners, as pilgrims, so he's, he's used two words here. As people who are traveling, he says that abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul, having a conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak evil against you, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Again, he reminds them that you are strangers. You are people on a pilgrim. And so abstain from fleshly lust. If you are expecting the second coming of Jesus Christ, the next thing you are supposed to do is abstain from fleshly lust. Remember that you are a stranger. Remember that this is not your home. There is a home prepared for you. You see, when you are conscious of the fact that one day you are going to leave this earth, the way you live your life really, really changes. If you remind yourself that you're not going to live on earth forever, it's either you, um, Jesus Christ will come for you or you're going to die one day. We don't want to think about death, but it's, that is the reality. Either we are going to die one day or Jesus will come and meet us one day. Or we'll be caught up with the Lord. And so, if you have this at the back of your mind, you see, we take insurance for so many things. We take insurance for our cars, our houses, for things that are valuable. We take life insurance for people that are, um, we leave behind. But the insurance for your soul is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. So that one day when you die, you have hope that you will resurrect again. The next thing is that let, um, you, you need to have a desire for a better country. And I'll be ending on this point. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, it, talk, it talked about all the, um, the heroes of faith. And it says in verse 13, 
that these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were persuaded of them and embraced them. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. Do you see the um, strangers and pilgrims repeating itself whenever it talks about who we are as believers? This is not our home, and we need to have that at the back of our minds. They were pilgrims on earth, for they they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Verse 15. And if truly... They have been mindful of that country from whence they came out, that they might have had opportunity to have ret- returned. I will explain it. But now they desire a better country, that is a he- unheavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he had prepared for them a city. I think I'm reading from the old King James, making it very difficult to <laughs> explain. So this is talking about the heroes of faith. He said... All of them died believing for a better country. They had hope that there's a better country. They did not see that better country, but they died believing. And that is why they are the heroes of faith. So it is better for you to believe that Jesus is coming. It's better for you to believe that there's a place prepared for you until your death. So they believed. And because they believed that they had a better country, the Bible says they were mindful. And they did not go back to the country where they were coming from. If you have it in your heart and in your mind that Jesus is coming again and there's a better country prepared for you, you will not go back into the world because you have an expectation of a better place. The Bible says they had an expectation of a heavenly country, one that is not prepared with hands, but one that God had prepared for them. And because of that, they sanctified and purified themselves because they were expecting a better country. This morning, I want us to remind ourselves that there is a better place prepared for us there is a better country prepared for us we are not going to live on this earth forever jesus is coming again and therefore when you read the prayer of the old uh, disciples they said maranatha and it means lord come they said the lord should come quickly that was the prayer of the saints of old And the saints of this generation, I believe that should be our prayer too. That our Lord come quickly. Do not not be afraid when we talk about the coming of Jesus Christ. You are on his side. He's on your side. He's coming for you to give you a better place. Let the mention of the second coming bring you comfort. Let it encourage you to live a better life as a believer. Let it encourage you to live your life as a Christian, as one born of God, and as one who belongs to God. Amen. Amen. Shall we bow down our heads for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We thank you, Lord, for the place that is prepared for us. We bless your holy name. We give you all the honor and adoration, O God. We pray that you quicken us, O God, strengthen us to live a life that is worthy of our calling. We pray, O God, when the trumpet sound will not be found missing. (coughs) Renew our hearts, change our hearts, Lord. We declare that we believe in you and we receive you into our lives. We know that whether we are dead or alive, we are with you and we are one with you. We bless you, God, for the place that is prepared for us in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
All right. God bless you.